Welcome to the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April. I'm excited for our, our, our guest today, a good, good friend of mine. He performs all over the globe, literally. It's a, an amazing human being. Um, very, very one of the nicest people you'll meet in show business. And uh, I'm excited to have him on here. Uh, I just want to also just, uh, before we get into that, if you have any comments on today's episode or you have questions, uh, feel free to leave them in the comments below. Or if you want to interact with me one-on-one uh, and get some, some real uh, information, you can uh, follow me at www.twitch.tv. Uh, slash uh, twitch.tv uh, slash comedy Brian. And uh, you can also find me at youtube.com uh, comedy Brian. You can find me on facebook.com slash comedy Brian. So if you want to reach out and uh, have some questions, feel free to do that for me. Uh, you can find our podcast on Apple, on Google, on Spotify, Facebook, and YouTube. But we are going to get into our show. Uh, we're going to bring in, like I said, a dear friend of mine. He's uh, very, very funny. He's uh, an accomplished comedian, he's an accomplished actor. Uh, all the way from Ireland, but he's not in Ireland today, but uh, he's, uh, uh, you're going to get a little different flavor this week on it, so I'm excited to bring him in. Please welcome the very funny Mr. Francis Ronan. What's up, buddy? Hey, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good, dude. I'm actually, uh, you know, I've been running around all day, so it's nice <laughs> to sit and connect with uh, somebody I care about, so hello. Yeah, so good to, do. we haven't talked in a while since... Uh, Briefly, just uh, during coronavirus, but uh, it, it's been it's been cool to to catch up with a lot of people. It has, man. Have you noticed that? Like, you know, it used to be hard to get five minutes conversation out of somebody. Now, it's almost like you're you're every time you call someone, you're doing a podcast. It's like a two hour marathon, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been crazy. So, one of the things that uh, I love uh, uh, about you and, and your comedy is um, one, like I said, you are one of the nicest human beings on the planet. Uh, we've had many, many conversations uh, outside of comedy clubs just talking about being good people. And um, I love your perspective, your high energy. Uh, you have a, a different perspective on, on life. And just to tie that all in with your, your Irish sensibilities or lack of sensibilities, however you want to describe it, uh, is, is great. And so I just love watching you perform. Oh, thanks. So. Thanks, man. The feeling's mutual. And whenever I go to a club and you're there, I'm always like, ah, good times. Not only do I get to see him perform, but it, it's, you know, it's such a stressful business when you see a friendly face uh, just before you go on stage or if you've had a rough set because it's, you know, it's trial by fire and stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And you look over and you see Brian down the back. Uh, you always know you've got a shoulder to cry on if you bomb, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, seldom do I bomb when I'm around you, dude. You have that good energy. Oh, absolutely. We we have a good time. We have a good time regardless of the crowd. So, um, yeah. so let's just kind of get into it. Um, who or what inspired you to start uh, performing? Uh, well, I've had I have. I've always looked at, at stand-up comedy and acting like I think most people, they look at the TV and they go, you know, that's their mentor growing up in some respects, you know, like mm -hmm. you, obviously I had great parents and all that, but when I looked at the TV, I thought, oh, that looks like something I'd like to do. And, uh, and then I figured out that that was acting and that it was a career. And then I had a cousin who was doing stand-up comedy and he was making a living from it. And I thought, you know what, not only does it look fun, but it's like, that's like a good business model, especially I, 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 there wasn't a lot of money around, you know, uh, growing up. There was money. There was a full fridge and there was lots of love in the house. But, uh, you know, the, the idea that you can get on stage with just your mind and your ideas and, 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 
and and start a career you know that 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 really appealed to uh, the lean the lean mindset i had so i thought oh i can get on stage tell jokes get checked go to next stage get checked and all i need to bring in terms of hardware and software is this thing okay i think i have that yeah i'll do that you know <laughs> yeah so i got into it pretty early on i got pretty excited i saw the success of some of my friends and then um I took an acting class around, around 16. There was a, a really hot girl there who I kind of fell for. So I kept going to that acting class. That'll do then, it. Yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> when you're young, you're young. It's all about traction, you know, what's oh, keeping you entertained. And then I didn't really, I don't think, I think I, I, I learned a little bit there, but I, I didn't really understand what acting was until I really sat with the problem of trying to decipher a play, a text, and then memorize it and then not only memorize it but get it into kind of the molecular structure of your body so you're not really acting when you're performing in front of a live audience like my first theater play uh i was lucky enough to get uh, one of the leads it was playing i think it was frankenstein's monster which is quite a character arc so all the way from kind of uh, a thrown together mash of human parts which is kind of learning how to read write and, and learning how to speak all the way to the end where he's in a murderous rage and he's raping, killing and giving epic speeches, you know? So that was mm. like, when I realized that in 90 minutes, you could take an audience from through the life of a character like that. I mean, it's once you experience that and you get to ride those emotions and at the end, the audience is pleased. I mean, every little kid wants this. Right. The inner child in me just goes, so I was, you know, I mean, a lot of people lie about why they, why they do it, but in, in essence, there's a visceral exchange of good energy between you and the audience when you do a live performance and you hope to give out as much as you get back, but often you get a lot more back and it can really feel pretty good. That's so true. And you just chase that, you know, that's why people go, why do you put up with the, the, the crazy shows and the bookers and the, the weirdness and all of that? It's because of that, that reaction. Yeah, and there's a hope that when you get in there and you actually, you know, you, you pay your dues and you, you start to make money and you start to have a little bit of influence that you can actually mitigate or at least lessen the struggle of people coming up because it's so tumultuous. There's so many sharks. There's so many unexpected things that you encounter. And that's even before you step on stage in front of the hot lights and have to right. deliver what, what you're telling everybody is funny. You know, I mean, you're setting yourself up for so much failure, dude. So it's almost like magic when you finally figure out how to tread that needle through that gauntlet of, hey, I'm about to be funny. 30 minutes have passed. You're clapping and I'm getting a high five walking off stage. Like to get there is a thousand shows, dude. Like that's a thousand failures. And no, mm -hmm. no one sees you when you're doing the thousand failures. And then they, they come and see you and start paying money after the thousand, it seems, you know, or two thousand, or they never pay you. That seems <laughs> yeah. too, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. That's funny. So were there any um, stand-up comedians that you uh, watched or were inspired by? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite Irish ones, you know, uh, now that I'm uh, in the game, you start to realize that you have to be careful about what you say because then it, it goes up on a page somewhere that you're but I, I can honestly say I loved and enjoyed the talents of uh, Des Bishop, uh, 
who was kind enough. I got to speak to him when I was very, just starting out, and he was very kind. I actually interviewed him when I was living in a tent in university. <laughs> And uh, he came into my tent and I got to interview in my tent while in university one of the premier comedians in Ireland, which was great. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was kind of surreal. And then we have Dylan Moran or Dylan Moran, as I call him. But in America, he's Dylan Moran. We have Joe Rooney. Uh, these are three incredible Irish comedians. Ardell O'Hanlon. Um, they're the Irish ones. And then, then I, had, uh, I had the privilege of meeting Robin Williams early on while in America through a friend of mine uh, who's Dana Carvey, who's a successful comedian here. And so although nobody can hand you stand-up comedy because it's, it's like the, the audience really gets to decide, like no matter right. what, they're going to make you pay your dues. Right. I, I was able, and I have been able, and I'm still able to, to I've been in green rooms for maybe 25 years, so I've, I've been able to kind of see behind the curtain, oh, this is what it's really like. And then I would go out and I would be an audience member and I would go, oh, so the audience doesn't know that you're pacing back and forth in the green room, looking in the mirror, panicking, thinking, checking your notes, blah, 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 blah. All they see is the confidence stride out and those few seconds of silence before the microphone that you let the audience settle. And then they just see this competent human deliver the piece. What they don't say, see is the pain suffering and panic sometimes panic that mm -hmm. we all go through uh, before going on stage no matter what echelon you're at and then uh, thankfully i think you know this brian it subsides over time so now right. walking on stage feels like walking into your kitchen and grabbing a you know a water out of the fridge but when you're working out new material it's pacing panic and 10 slices of pizza or whatever you know mm -hmm. uh, or even if it's a, a bigger show you know, you can do shows seven days a week, so, you know, 10 shows a week, but then you get maybe an audition uh, set in front of somebody or you get uh, something you're recording or, you know, there's that different level of pressure. And then, it, yeah. and then you go from that confident human being again back to pacing. and. Well, you've done your fair share of TV now. Have you done a stand-up performance on TV yet? Um, well, I recorded uh, my dry bar special. I haven't done uh, late night yet, which is uh, next on my list. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you, you know, like, I, okay, so brilliant. Yeah, we can kind of share this with people, right? <laughs> so when you're doing TV, not only do you have to be funny and the audience is tense because there's cameras around, so it's harder to elicit laughter sometimes, especially if mm -hmm. they're not warmed up right. But if you're doing comedy on TV, it's usually a three to four camera setup, one on a boom, one from the left, one from the right, just to give you lots of coverage so they can cut away when you're bombing, right? And then, <laughs> and then, dude, but the, the, what they don't tell you, and if you're new in the game, and I, I, I got hit pretty hard with this, although I think pulled it off, was you usually have to stand a lot more still when you're on TV than you do on stage. So when I'm on stage, you know, I'm bouncing around, the hands are over the head, I'm getting in people's faces. Sometimes I leave the stage, but then. And, and, and that's how I kind of, my body and my memory is in sync with that movement. So when the right. cameras start rolling and they go, oh, by the way, just before you walk out on stage, you go, by the way, stand still in that two-foot box that we put on the thing. Otherwise, mm -hmm. the cameras will lose you. You go out there, and then your memory that is, a, is connected to your movements and your act-outs is like... <laughs> <laughs> so, it's pretty scary, Brian. Did you did you have any experiences like that? I did. I actually had that happen uh, with my driver special, the first set. 
uh, because they're like, okay, here's here's the spot where you're gonna be. And I went out expecting uh, things to be laid up because I went on stage and did some stuff beforehand. So I get my sight lines like, okay, you know, I don't want it to be overload brain from my brain. And then they changed some stuff around by the time I, from the time I got off of there to when I got back on. Yeah. And so when I opened, when they opened it back up, there are lights on that weren't there before. There were cameras. They had changed the layout. And so my brain just immediately, plus you have that don't move, you're in this yeah. box. And so I was like, oh, look at that. Oh, there's a camera there. Oh, there's a camera there. There's a camera there. Okay. And then meanwhile, you're supposed to be doing your act. Yes. You know? And then I, I forgot my second joke, which just made me spiral even more out of make my brain go. Oh. Yeah. Which, and then, which, is, which, which is why it's so great. Like, first of all, once you do the TV thing, that's almost like doing your first open mic again. It's like, mm. oh, so this is... This is TV. This is how stand-up comedy translates on camera as opposed to live in real time in, with a, a low ceiling and 200 people nice and close. You know, that, right. that energy, that perfect energy that some of the com comedy clubs have like perfected. And then you, then you realize, oh, the people on the cameras can, like if they're, not, if they're doing a close-up and you're bouncing around, then that really augments the tone of your joke, the things. And so you'll see a lot of the people who are churning out specials uh, regularly, like one every two or three years, they're much more stationary than, say, a club comic bouncing around because they know that they're actually acting to the cameras as well as doing something. Right. And, and, and they've perfected that skill and selling the joke to the camera as opposed to a live audience. And, and, you, and a lot of people will think, well, it does not, can't be that much of a difference. It's, it's monumental. It's like yeah. insane. And people, people think people aren't funny. And then they go, no, no, no. You, have, you just haven't seen him in a club. In a club, <laughs> he will rock the universe. But on right. TV, dude, it's kind of... You know? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because even with doing uh, this podcast, right? Uh, I have you on screen. And so when you're talking, I'm so used to making eye contact that I look at you as if you were across from me. Yeah. But I'm not looking at the camera. Right. And so... You know, you have to like go ahead and, and talk to the camera, and then it's like I can see you sorted down there. So when you talk, I, I like always kind of come down here because you get that connection. And so, yeah. but when you deliver, you have to play to the camera. Yeah, and that's another thing in the arts that they, you know, because we're, uh, well, put it this way a lot of the loudest people in entertainment <clears throat> probably aren't great listeners. But a lot of the best people in entertainment, when they're on stage, they're doing a lot of listening. And by that, I don't mean like, I don't, I don't mean like it's that obvious that they're, they're stopping and listening. But it's, I said it once to a comedian friend of mine, dude, it's kind of a conversation. You say something, they laugh, you listen to their laugh and how they respond, and then you respond. And, and by listening, there's a connection that forms between you and the audience. But if you're focused on delivering your words, or you haven't got your jokes down, or you're not living the images that you're speaking about as you do them on stage, the audience often segues off into another thought, like, you know? So it's like, mm -hmm. as, as my friend says, it's like trying to tell jokes, you know, as the trains fly by. You want to you catch the audience on the train and, and hold them. And usually that takes movement. Usually that takes listening and uh, responding, even if it's just a nod or a little point to an audience, like, I hear you, ah, you like that, you know? Oh, you don't, you know? A lot of that, that was very subtle, or just even tipping your toes, 
to show you're relaxed can relax the audience. And these are all things, dude, that I can't, I can't even imagine exist as solves or solutions to the problems that we face on stage. But mm. like, it's truly horse whispering at the highest level, is stand up, right? It's like, yeah. we're really bringing people onto a wavelength or a frequency. And then we kind of, the goal, if we're doing it right, we bring them into our world. And then once they're in our world, we keep them there long enough that they'll go on a journey with us wherever we bring them, whether it's into surrealism or it's into a story of, you know, a loss that turned funny. But right. if you don't catch them, connect with them, bring them in and show them that you're present, then you look like a weird, awkward actor doing a rehearsed monologue. And the, mm -hmm. the, the gap to the average viewer is, is minute. But, but when you're watching somebody who's 10 years in versus one year in, it's like, you know. Yeah. When you, I watch you, you basically, know. dude, I'm like, well, okay, I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I appreciate that. No, it's 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 interesting uh, how just there's so many like nonverbal uh, gestures or cues or you know things that you can do to bring people in. There's so many tips and tricks, like you said, that we use to kind of manipulate focus, and it's just a it's one of the things I love about comedy. It's just you see somebody do it, and you go, oh, that's a really good way of. Yeah, and there's always there's always something. And, and dude, yeah. how crazy is this? Now we have comedians running and winning elections. <laughs> like it's there's people. I'm not talking about in America, but there's actually in, in Europe. I believe there's a comedian who was elected on an anti-corruption thing. But he's it's 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 as you do more and more stand-up, you start to realize the power. Well, I do. I think maybe a lot of people realized this before, but the power of public speaking, mm. uh, the power of being able to engage and get people onto the frequency you're on and then keep them there or bring them there. And also, also the specificity and the importance of words, consonants, rhythms, intonation, like the depth at which people think about stand-up comedy would, I think would, would blow people's minds. The people who are in it, like the level to which we might think about a head turn or just, well, will I do this or will I do this? You know, it's right. It, when it gets down to it, after you've got the clunkiness out of the joke and you've memorized the words and you know it's funny and on, it's, it's on its feet, then it's almost like, okay, well, how much density of, how much humor can I pack into this? And can I get them from a high five to a standing out? Right. And, and as it was actually Dana Carvey the, who said this, he says, well, look, if, if they're not, and he said this humbly, he said, look, you're going to meet a lot of people out there who you know, tell you this is good and that's good. Just if anybody's ever complaining, just, I'm paraphrasing now, uh, just tell them until you're getting a standing ovation, you've got work to do. So everything else is noise. All the complaints, all the, it's so hard, it's so hard. Yeah, look, everyone's facing that. It's hard for everybody. If they're not giving you a standing ovation, there's, you're, leaving, you're leaving stuff on the table, you know? Right, yeah. So make and it dance, figure out that finger, dude. It's yeah, the, the fine tuning aspect of it is uh, incredible. Just the amount of uh, work, because you like you said, you get that first chunk out of the way, and then it's like, okay, now let's tweak and tweak and tweak until you get those standing ovations. Yeah, bro, I haven't I haven't got one yet. I've got high fives, and one guy moved off his seat, but it, he just it was because he peed himself a little bit. But he, he, he didn't. He wasn't. He was uncomfortable. He wasn't. He wasn't joyous. You know. <laughs> there, there's. Um, I spent 
I would say 2019, that became a focus of mine. It was like, I want to start getting more standing ovations because I've gotten a couple. And then I, um, I changed my closer, um, which helps. And it's just, I made it more of a, a show piece rather than just a joke. Yeah. Um, and that almost in a way cheats because they feel like there's this compulsion because it, it just builds it's the uh, the, the nations of the world thing yeah. and it just builds and builds and builds and then you know there's a couple of really good jokes in there it's a huge laugh and then it's just such a release of energy that people feel almost compelled to stand um and so i yeah ended up getting you know more in you know six months or whatever than i had my previous 15 years combined so yeah, and, and if, if you look at that and you kind of take in what we now know about the universe and, and frequencies and vibrations and we're moving parts, it's like, and when you know what the stand of why the jokes work in stand up, a lot of it is rhythm and frequency. And the mm-hmm. last points, I'm, I, I'm guessing, and I, here, if I'm wrong, it'll be funny. But, excuse me, it'll be funny. Fuppet, F O O P I G. Basically, I'm guessing that you're closer has more laughs per minute than any other joke and it stacks them in a crescendo towards the end and at the very end you're probably doing sounds or it's probably rhythmically way faster than your other material yes and Um, it's a culmination and pulling in many things that it's almost it's almost like oh my god his brain right yes It's, so it's not so much that it's uh, laughs per minute. It's actually fewer laughs per minute because it's um, it's just rattling off all the countries of the world and it just gets faster and faster and it starts to build. And it's, yeah. it's funny when you watch it, it build because the first there's, there's four verses, four courses. It's, it's the Animaniacs, um, the old Animaniacs nations of the world thing. And so I do the voice. I do Yako's voice. Yeah. And then I rattle off the countries, and then oh, I love so that bit. Yeah, dude, that's yeah. That's so that's that's what I did. Uh, that's what I do. And then it, so it starts off, and people go, "What is this?" People who know it love it immediately. Yeah. If they don't know it, the first verse and chorus, they're like, "What's going on?" And then it starts to get longer and longer, and the words are faster and faster and faster. And then I throw in a, a punchline after the the second one, which gets a huge laugh. And then I, you know, again, it builds, it builds, it builds. And then the last one just takes yes. off as far as speed and just they're, they're yes. clapping and they're clapping and cheering the whole time through. And then yeah. at the end, they just kind of. Yeah. And and, so. and and the funny thing about that is the stakes are so high that if you drop the ball any way through, no one leaves their seat. Right. Mm. If you drop mm-hmm. the ball for a half second or you mispronounce one word, the facade or the, the spell under which the audience in front of you is bound, it's like, oh, the facade is dropped. Oh, it was a hologram. Okay. And then they say yeah. sitting and you don't get your standing up. Yeah. Well, it's also like that with any punchline too. Yeah. If you flub any part of your punchline, you can trip your way through the, the setup. But yeah. if you flub your punchline, you're not getting a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're not going to get nearly as good a laugh. You might get a little. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because a lot of people think it's on the comedian, you know, especially if you're an audience member. And it is. And a, and a good comedian can usually wrestle any room into submission and then just start pounding. But there's a – and that's that's where the mileage in the coffee shops and the bar room shows and the people throwing drinks at you, that they pay off because you, you have a rebuttal for every heckle 
or you know, for every year crap, you have a, a you know, you're just locked and loaded, and they know you're fearless. That's nearly most of it. It's in your it's in your body language that you will not be tamed and you will not go down. You know. Yeah. And, and so, and and that's a hard confidence to maintain because Hollywood and, and auditions is ba basically about failure. So. It, you, you increase your rate of failure so much in Hollywood by doing auditions, stand-up and acting, and, and you're trying to get things. And most of the time they say no because it's a, a numbers game, you know. And, uh, and, and so then you're, that night after doing all those auditions, failing throughout the week, you go on stage and somehow you're supposed to remember that you're a competent, confident performer, <laughs> you know, after being, you know, just struggling right. all week. So it does really give you that battle heart, like... Put it this way, if someone said to you, hey, I have 5,000 seats tomorrow night, uh, you ready? You would yep. know exactly what process to dip into to get yourself to the point that your working memory and your notes were all in your head, ready to go. You'd have your clothes or your thing, and you'd probably run it a few times in your head or go for a walk and think about it and blah, blah, blah. Whereas most people think it's just like, come on, comedian, dance. But the audience... Yeah. They might have, it might be an early show. They were in traffic for the last hour and someone told them to go F themselves, right? Right. They, they haven't got a drink yet or they're waiting on an order and you're telling your jokes. Uh, the person beside them is a really annoying laughter or you know, a laugher. Uh, the room has an echo. The mic is terrible. The sound is terrible. The lighting's terrible. So many things other than the performer can diminish a performance. And, uh, so when all those things are set, when you're in the, the premier comedy rooms, it's a full house, you've got a national touring or a well-known headliner, you're warming up, he's be, the crowd's being warmed up, you walk out, and all that is, they're all ready to go, they're excited, they've invested, they paid a ticket to see you, so they literally, they're ready, dude. And then mm -hmm. you machine gun, I love that, dude. You know? and then, yeah, I love that, but... Um, I don't think I've ever had a great set in front of you, bro, to be honest. I don't think I've had... But those are the sets that keep me in the game where I go, oh, my God, that was like an out-of-body experience. Like, you're like, you literally can't believe... Like, it's not really you doing it at that point. It's like, it's your preparation and all the little secret... It's like a boxer. You've done all the drills, so you're on stage doing exactly what you train for, but you're saying loose enough to be loose enough in the moment to, to react and be present and listen, you know? You, mm -hmm. I, I'm just saying this to your audience. You know all this, but I'm just like, I love this stuff, dude. Oh, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, um, it, it's, so, it's, it's so interesting to, to see how all that goes. And I'll go into shows where some of the most rewarding ones you go is you go, okay, this isn't going to be a good show. And you see it's a tough room or it's, it's hot or it's whatever. And the, the odds are stacked against you and you go in and you just hit it hard and you flip the room completely yeah. and you go, okay, like I feel good. Like, well, that, that's the dream. As, as my uh, gay friend said, that's like, you know, getting a straight guy to go gay. So that, that feels, that feels, that's one of the greatest is when everyone, and it's not because you, you don't, you're not, you're not, no one is in competition in comedy. It's the people who are, they drop out real early on because everyone knows it's an individual journey because you're literally wrestling with your thoughts most of your life yeah. in your community. And so it, cause it's, it's doing the laps and it's the neurosis that allows you to come up with the concepts. And if you're not observing everything around you, so you're constantly observing, you're constantly marinating, 
You're constantly writing to refine, and then you're memorizing. So your brain is doing all this extraneous mm -hmm. cognitive crap, you know, that most people aren't doing for their work on a daily basis, you know. And uh, it, it's not like other jobs aren't hard, but this one is a particularly odd job. It's so specifically cerebral, you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. So with with that, um, what is your writing process? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're looking you're looking at someone who is uh, <laughs> needs needs more process. But basically, dude, uh, when I started out, my process was how can I get the audience to laugh? Like that was my I so I started with the objective. And then in the shortest time possible, I tried to write a joke. And usually it was offensive because offense, I mistook as humor. And then I got to the point and I listened to more people that said, dude, if you can get people to laugh without cursing or talking about shocking topics, not only will you work more, but you'll work more because you'll get more stage time. And so I started working clean as quick as I could. Now, I still F-bomb. I'm Irish, you know, but but uh, but I, I, so what I, what I do now is I've become a very good, I've become a better observer. I won't say very good. I've become a lot better observe, observer of the thoughts as they circulate in my head. And if something strikes me as funny, I don't waste a second in noting it down. Straight out with the phone, notes, boom, 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 topic headline. That's what I put it in there. So I've got now... <laughs> I've got about 20 minutes on COVID that I wrote over four months. So I may never use that, but every time something struck me as funny, I wrote it down. And now I have 200 maybe jokes on COVID-19, one third of which are probably funny and usable. And then, you know, five minutes will make it to stage, but it'll be super dense. So I right. don't discriminate. I note everything down. I try not to discriminate. Um, I'm very aware of structure at this point, and I, I don't want to like, and I'm no Shakespeare or anything like that. But like, I understand the, the I understand on an on a intuitive level a lot more about rhythm, inflection, voice change-ups, uh, hard consonants, hitting certain vowels, playing with the length of certain words. Just get it out just in time. You know what I mean? You know, just all the like. I don't know. It, Everything is very specific now, whereas before it was just, oh, my God, I'm walking on stage. Can I remember what I thought of last week? Now it's like, OK, so maybe if I whisper this and I move it this way, like people, it's almost too much. It's like giving away your magic tricks. But <laughs> put it this way. I sit with the problem for a very long time after I've got the wording down. Mm -hmm. And usually by sitting with the problem and talking to my friends who are not comedians, who are naturally more funny than me, I talk to them and then we, uh, about anything really, and often I'll see a new way into that joke that breathes a little more life into it. Things can get very stale if you're focused on the anatomy and the structure and the writing. So I've noticed that you have to take it for a walk on stage, you have to talk about the topic with your friends. It's nearly the quickest way to write anything that will actually endure and get a response on stage is to talk it out with people because mm -hmm. um, conversation is an incredible uh, inspirer, you know? Yeah, like we're, absolutely. We're doing, yeah, and, and uh, people are so insular, living such insular lives right now 
that I think I think people might be trying to do comedy the hard way, but I've noticed that the more fun I have in my life, the more new experiences I have, the more viscerally I feel these new experiences, the quicker the funny observations about these experiences are. For example, if I was to go skydiving tomorrow, dude, I know for a fact that I would have a lot of writing done by the end of the day because I'm all awake, I'm hyper-present, all my senses are watching out for the funny. So sometimes... I'll actually put myself in a position where I'll take on a job or do something I don't want to do or jump out of a plane or, you know, adopt chickens. So I have a three minute chicken bit. Like you have to inject. It's what you put into this machine in terms of ingesting, in terms of information, what you're reading, what you're watching, you will, it will seep out of your mouth. So if you're a political junkie and you're not telling anyone you are, well, guess where it's going to seep out on stage. You're going to be talking right. politics on there. If you're thinking about motivation, you're watching Tony Robbins, you'll probably have a motivation bit in your set. So be very, I'm very careful about what I ingest nowadays because hmm. uh, I'm getting a bit too serious. I started moving into politics and I don't know enough about it, nor do I care. I think they're all charlatans, to be honest, all playing for the same yeah. thing. It's WWE to me, dude. They're all pretending to be fighting. And But what I'm starting to do now is I'm just watching what our comedians do and stuff and I'm trying to be present and observe uh like i'm meeting a girl later today right so i'm gonna watch myself in the third person while we're on a date she doesn't know it but i'm watching myself with that girl and going wow that's weird why did i pay for is that offensive that i forced i paid the bill is that you know and then or oh uh you know checking your checking yourself walking up i know i'm going to be doing like there are things that you're not aware of that you do every day but when you are doing things uh, and you're aware that you're going to be writing a better later i'll be hyper observant of everything i do before i meet this girl today and mm. i this would be just an example maybe you know that might be an active that i would use on stage you know checking my deal my bo before yep. meeting this, this the girl in my dreams and then how to contrast that vulgar activity against something as sublimely beautiful as the girl I'm about to meet is where the comedy is, contrast. Right. And that's technical, but all these things at some point make sense and they all coincide at the exact same moment at all times. And really good comedians know it and I'm learning it. <laughs> but I'm getting that. Well, you get that. No, you, you have this great uh, uh, ability uh, to just kind of just be authentic and... Uh, I, I like that you were talking a lot about, you know, the performance side of it and just, you know, uh, because so many people forget about that, you know, changing to a whisper or changing your timing or all of those things are so important. Well, it's, it's weird because when I started out in stand-up, man, I would look and say, you know, the likes of Bill Burr or you and, and you're up on stage and look at him and go, okay, what's he doing? And at the start, all I would see is, oh, there's a competent comedian going up, and I'm so scared, all I can think about is I'm up next, right? But then mm. as I got competent enough to be present in the room and think, oh, I wonder, can I win this room? And, and I wonder, can I, you know, the, the, the dream destroy, like for, you know, like 10 minutes, and then they forget about it. <laughs> but, you know, can I destroy, dude? And, and then you start going, well, what's he doing? Oh, Brian is doing 30 different voices in three minutes. Oh, he, he talked to that audience member just before that joke to remind them that, you know, to, to pull them back into the room. Like there's so many, there's so many times in a, in a, a performer set that he has to or she has to be aware of what the audience is thinking 
that it really you really can't be too focused on what you're doing like right. like by the time you get on stage and you're delivering that set that's going to get them all you know destroyed like if you're thinking about what you're doing you're going to get knocked out it's like a boxer man like th- those guys are just reacting live in real time yeah and and stand up comedians when they're doing heavy reps like seven shows a week or five on a weekend or you know some guys are doing 90 minutes a night if they weren't good after doing 90 minutes a night for fuck yeah. for five years come on right because that brain plasticity it really is impressive you can start on a friday kind of loose and then on a sunday you could be riffing the first 10 minutes of your set so there's something there's some lubricant in there that really benefits from heavy reps and a lot you know mm-hmm. and that's why i see it in you i think i think when the more experienced people like yourself who've been at it a long time, there's just, you've got more lubricant in that brain. Dude. You've, got, <laughs> you've got more things connected, more things and more weird tangential thoughts than the average human, you know? Yeah. I and think just you, your, your brain memory as well is probably much more advanced. Well, you, you, I, I think, thank you for saying that, but I, I think <laughs> the more you, uh, the more you do it, the more you get into it. And the more you, like I said, you go through those battles, those scars of all those wars of, you know, the, the bikes, the open mics and the biker bars and the, you know, all those sort of things. And you just learn these skill sets and they just become muscle memory. Yeah. Um, and then it, it is funny when you're on stage, there are times you're not even thinking about what you're saying. You're going, you are thinking, oh, that person's not laughing. Oh, okay, I see this is going on. I need to do this. Or uh, they're really doing that. I can pull this person in. These people are talking. How do I do yeah. all of that? Meanwhile, you're still reciting your material and then you can also be thinking oh i gotta make sure i do this for tomorrow night or uh, i gotta do this next week or i gotta go to the laundromat or whatever it is yeah yeah and And then you've got you've got the problems like if you're doing two sets in a row or you're doing a lot on a weekend it's like wait did i just Mm -hmm. tell that joke but here the real thing is apart from all the science behind it it's not really it's not really a science because you literally it's literally you go out and you test it on the battlefield so you i i i dude, I, I truly believe it's one of the <laughs> hardest things i've ever done bro like um because the desire is to control but the audience, if they perceive that you are trying to control or it's not subtle enough that you are uh, the dog leading the people through the gate so they can have a nice meal of humor, um, they, like, an audience is always willing to destroy you. And, and they don't, it's, not necess- it's, it's not always clear that they're aware that they're, they want to do that, but you you can often in in a ten second moment you can go from I have them on side to oh my god they're turning on me yeah oh my god it's oh was that a boo <laughs> did somebody yeah. boo me weren't you all laughing ten seconds ago dude mm-hmm. so I it think uh, it's not really like I don't think we're giving away anything I think I think it would just be I think when you sit when when your job is to get people to exhale in unison at the same time on mass repeatedly for an extended period of time and then receive a paycheck. I think that's gotta be one of the weirdest professions ever. That's what we're doing, dude. We're getting people, mm-hmm. we're, we're pulling, pulling their, 
their conscious brain out of their control, hopefully sending them into the subconscious so that they're just kind of on autopilot. They go for this weird ride with us. They enjoy themselves, hopefully, and feel that like some sort of relief from the daily stresses. And then we head off and continue to be stressed. That's exactly what, you know, exactly. But to, you know, to counter a little bit of what you said, like, even if you revealed the magic, and you go, okay, this is what we do, and this is how we do, you know, act outs or whatever. Yeah. You can give everybody that whole box of parts and go, okay, here you go, put it yeah. together. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah, and the funny thing is, dude, as all this stuff becomes integrated into your way of writing or your process, as all these observations become integrated, the only reason I know how to articulate these is because I've done podcasts throughout my growing phase in stand-up comedy, which I guess will never end, right? So I only realize, oh, the tipping of, the th of my shoe relaxes the audience or if I do a voice change. And so I know that. But a lot of, uh, most comedians, they didn't have this kind of uh, ability to share their, the inner workings of what they're doing uh, as they progressed. So a lot of senior comedians don't even know exactly what they're doing. They just do it effortlessly and it's integrated into the system of their body. So mm -hmm. they're just being. So a lot of the, a lot of people at the top, they, they don't, they're magic and they don't even know how, you know? But what, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they've set that level so high that it's, it's, it's kind of behind, like, I can't imagine what I don't know yet, dude. You know, because somebody is at comedy 30 years. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's done. He's got lots of accolades. He's done well. I don't want to name drop because that gets weird. But yeah. basically he goes, he goes, you know, you're seven, you know, seven, eight years in. Uh, that's kind of like if you were to go to an open mic and watch a person doing their second set. That's what it feels like. And he was, he was being humble and polite, but he was just saying, wait till you see what your brain figures out in the next 20 years. Right. And I, I said, I like when I think about what I've got in seven years, I'm super excited to see what's hidden behind that curtain, you know, like of suffering. Basically, if we suffer for 15 years, Brian, <laughs> we might actually know something, dude. That's right. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And I think also the more you do it, you start to to learn like how you write. And so you start to write faster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, we're, we're talking with Francis Cronin, a uh, comedian and actor. You can follow Francis on all social media platforms at Glowpunk, G-L-O-W-P-U-N-K. Um, this is my favorite, favorite, favorite question to ask. We ask it on every show. Francis, what was your worst show ever? Oh, uh, yeah, that's uh... Yeah, that was brutal, dude. Okay. Wow, <laughs> we're going there. Uh, yeah, I mean, here, look. I would say there has been a hundred, 150 tough ones where you just go, you know, am I cut out for this? You know, uh, you know, they will rock you, dude. I mean, they will rock grown men. You walk out of there just wondering, should, you know, anyway, I'll tell you the one. <laughs> my, friend, well, we uh, my, friend, my friend needed an that. opener. My friend needed an opener. Uh, and when I say my friend, he is a friend and he is, uh, again, I won't name drop, but he does big stadiums. So I had not done a stadium. I had no idea what that would feel like. Every room has its own kind of, uh, its own rules to win. 
but when there's no roof, I mean, you're really up against it. And the sun is out, people are drinking, people are taking their seats, there's levels of humans, and they hate you more and more as the levels go up, dude. So it's a 5,000-seater, it's a national fair, or I should say a, a county fair or a state fair. Uh, it's at a race course. So between me and the audience, here's the first hurdle, there's 100 meters. So just that lack of eye contact, lack of proximity, uh, that's pretty painful for me. I'm new. Uh, I'm pretty new. I'm in year four, which is new in comedy. Until about year 12, you're, you're a baby, right? Right. And then, because you're in the, because comedy is, you're literally in the Olympics. If you're trying to get to the top of stand-up comedy, there's about 100 people globally who can do 90 minutes on their toes and destroy everywhere, clean. And then there's people who almost do it, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, if you want to get there, you got to do all this weird hard stuff. So I figure I'll, I'll say yes. I might bomb, but at least I'll have that experience under my belt. So we get there. People are taking their seats. There's, it's a cold opening. They didn't announce that I was to walk out. So my job is to basically, my friend goes, like, dude, you're, this, you can't really win. Your job is to walk up to the mic, which is 50 feet away because it's a massive show. It's like the 4th of July. They're doing the big fireworks and stuff. Walk out there, stand behind the mic, talk for five minutes so that everybody faces forward, takes their seats, and stops drinking. Now that, to normal, to people who aren't in comedy, that's like, oh, what, you go out there and talk for five minutes? Yeah. Uh, a, a comedian not hearing laughs after he delivers his best punchlines throws a comedian's brain into a spiral of despair. So the last thing he said before I walked out cold with no, wa no walkout music, no announcement was, uh, when you get out there, just make sure you trust the technology. There's big screens on either side. They can see you. You don't have to lean in. You don't have to shed. Trust the speaker columns. They had these like 40-foot speaker columns on either side. So I'm like, all right, dude. <sighs> Trying to be brave. Pretend that I'm, like, I'm brave. <laughs> yeah, dude, this is easy. No worries. I was off in two minutes, dude. I was off in two minutes. I walk out. Actually, no, I didn't walk out. I ran out because it was so far that about after I started walking five steps, I thought, my God, it's going to take me 30 seconds to get to the microphone. And this is already painful. So I started jogging to the microphone. <laughs> I get to the microphone. And immediately when I take the microphone out, I pull it out and it goes, Ooh, right? So the whole stadium goes, Ooh, right? And something like, right? Anyway, I go, What's up, San Diego? So I immediately forgot to trust the technology that they can see me, that I don't have to do big act outs, and I'm leaning forward screaming, dude. So the first thing I see is a lot of people going to the oh, noise. No. Then I see them kind of turning around. So they're just realizing that there's a person. So no one responds to the first, what's up, San Diego? <laughs> so four to 5,000 people just kind of going, what are you doing? We just kind of going, well, well, who are you? We didn't pay to see you. We're actually here in the hot sun of San Diego at, at the county fair, trying to have a good time. And now you're screaming at us while we're here to see the talent we paid for. Get out of here, crazy Irish man. But they didn't say it. They were very kind. But they did kind of just kind of linger and kind of keep their backs to me and go, you know, scream up the name of the talent they want to see. Right. And so after two and a half minutes, 
first joke didn't go over, second joke didn't go over. I got them, but I thought I'll get out while I'm on a high. They're all facing forward. That's my job. Get them focused. Get them facing the person they paid to see and in their seats. So I go, okay, okay, guys, the man you've all been waiting for, would you please welcome say da 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 da? Then they go crazy, and he showed me how it's actually done. So. Mm. Uh, put it this way, there's a car outside, he gets off stage, he likes to get out of there real quick because it, it saves a lot of interactions that can be uncomfortable after, you know, years in the business, it gets a little tedious. So the car is waiting backstage, we get into the car and it was just, he, he was super sweet, but I was just very quiet for about two days after that. I, I don't wow. think I'd ever been winded, like metaphysic, metaphysically like destroyed my soul felt like it needed like to just go to hospital for a week and I, I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny man it's just like you you think that you've got past your ego and then you you bomb on mass and then you realize uh, you start to question your existence and whether or not you you deserve existence <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Especially when you've wasted an, almost a decade of your life doing something and then, you know, yeah. Uh, you, yeah, you just feel like you botch it so spectacularly that you go, why am I even doing this? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, you know, you, you got to take those swings. If Here's the crazy thing. I got back, I got a chance to do another big set like that. And uh, as a result of that first one, my preparation for the second one was way better. I had all my jokes pre-planned. I didn't lean forward. I actually... I, I realized that standing back, standing tall, chilling, slowing down, understanding it takes time for the laughs to come from the back of the room or the top tier to come back, and realizing as well that you can't really, really win if they don't know you're going to be there and they're taking their seats. And so right. when you start to see the reality of the situation and what you can do and what you can't do to improve your situation, then... Then you start having some self-esteem again, and it gets you back out there. Into the <laughs> you're, you're ready for the next failure. It's yeah, nine. dude. Yeah. <laughs> I've never so, seen you bomb. That's the truth. I've never oh seen well, you it 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 happens. It's happened quite a bit, actually. So they've been horrible, horrible, horrible stories. We could talk forever about those. Well, I don't know if you, if if I'm supposed to be interviewing you. I'm trying to do the talk, but I'd love to hear yours. Oh. Um, Let's see. Let's see. On this, I've already talked about I did an airport that didn't work well. Um, I did one in uh, 2019. I was at a casino, and I bombed, but it wasn't necessarily my fault. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Uh, there was a DJ underneath the club. The, the club was on the second floor, and they were just blaring music, and they started – uh, the second show started at 9:45. The DJ started at 10, so I was uh, I was the feature act. So the host went up, did 15 minutes, boom, 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 great. From 9:45 to 10 o'clock, everyone loved him. As soon as I went to go on stage, all you heard was boom, 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 boom from the bass yeah. from downstairs, and you could actually hear the lyrics. That's how loud it was. <laughs> and people could not hear me and in your brain you know you're like oh i can do this i can i can fight through this you know i love a good challenge yeah exactly you know? it's like come on yeah you know there's a, there's 190 people here i i can do this i'll i'll work through this whatever you reference it you go on yeah. and people just couldn't hear me uh they just got annoyed 
And so even if they did hear me, they didn't laugh. They just got angry, like super, super quick. Yeah. And there was a spotlight for some reason that shone on one seat the whole weekend. And it was the angriest person that you could see from stage. Like normally you don't see a lot of people from stage, but the spotlight was just- they, Yeah, they put a spotlight on them. That's on the, the, the angriest person each night, each show sat there for some reason. <laughs> and you could see them. And I started getting nothing. And I was like, you know, I can do this. And then I was like, I can't do this. And then you just saw people like totally tuning out and just being mad. And I was supposed to do 25 minutes and they lit me, uh, they were giving me a five minute light. They lit me at 15, which normally would be death and would cripple me, you know, like, Oh, I got late. I did so poorly. They lit me early to like save the show. Uh, but I was so thankful that they lit me Yeah, because I, I was getting nothing. I mean, nothing, just throwing out the best stuff. Nothing. Okay. Try edgy. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, crowd what work. Was it? Nothing. Because Brian, usually it's not, usually it's like, I know you. So I'm guessing that there was something happened apart from the music, like the audience was just, the audience is probably looking at you going, oh, I can hear the music and you're, what was it? What was the thing that now you know how you could have won? Because it's always like a, hmm. If <laughs> not done the again. show. <laughs> not, not done the show. Or, or not <laughs> up the music started. Because the headliner even went up and struggled and okay. uh, over half the audience died during the headliner. Yeah. And, you know, we were, we were fine the set before. We did great. You know, yeah. it's not like we're terrible. So no, it's just what, a bad, bad yeah, setup. What, yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's really, you know, I, I, I do think that that's probably the number one thing that I've, that I've noticed in, in comedian friends that are doing well now is that they just, they're still in it. They're still mm -hmm. in it. They were always funny. They were always working hard. They were always writing. But... They got rocked just as much as everybody else. Uh, they can sit, but they, but they stayed in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's something happens in the brain over time that allows you to be more comfortable and more yourself. And when you're more yourself, the audience really, really appreciates authenticity and natural connection. It's hard to explain what that is to a lot of even myself at times, I'm not, you know, but, but if you're in the arts, there's a, there's a, I hear, do you know what it is? Cause I, I'm not trying to be the guy that can see things that people can't, I mean, that's my point is, my point is that there's, you know, you meet the people and they're like, oh my God, well, I would never, like that person is living behind a facade and you put that on stage, unless it's a character, it doesn't do well. Right. But you put up the person on stage, he goes, you know, last week, yeah. Uh, I was driving around in the car with all my friends and we got in a bit of a crash. Tension is set. They know it's, oh, I, I can envisage that. It sounds like it's real. Right. Connected to that on an emotional level. And then you hit them with the punchline. Yeah, we were, you know, whatever the punchline might be. Right. And then it's, it's, it's that release after the truth and the, the sadness or the, the, the tension that pops it and gives way for the laughter. But if you're always the veneer, it's like it's almost like all those all comedians who don't try and unearth themselves by like working and sitting with the problem of who am I and mm -hmm. what can I bring authentically, they all seem to have a much shorter shelf life. Well, they might do well in Hollywood because Hollywood likes the facade, but right. I mean, in terms of 
comedians that kind of transcend time and, and last for long periods of time, it seems to be people who were more honest. I mean, Richard Pryor, not only funny, but incredibly honest. Right. Uh, Dylan Moore, an Irish comedian, incredibly deep thinker, honest. You know, uh, Dave Chappelle, honest. Yeah, Even, I think the... Know, it's Sorry, like that, that honesty, dude, is the, is the sweet elixir that gives you that legendary status. And, but but to, I think to get to that sweet elixir, dude, I think you have to really suffer, bro. I don't think mm. there's anyone who's at the top that hasn't really had to wrestle with their thoughts. That's why a lot of comedians, I think, have been through AA and have really sat with a problem for like decades mm-hmm. and really had to figure themselves out. Some of the greatest comedians in the world. Unreal, because their self-awareness is way better than, oh, my God, you know? Like right. Well, and I, I think, too, that there's there's exceptions to every rule. You look at someone like Jerry Seinfeld, who's uh, mostly observational, but if you listen True. and you break it down, you can really hear his thoughts towards people. Uh, and oh, the, yeah, he's genuinely annoyed that the wallpaper doesn't match. That really yeah. annoys Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I like going on stage and then having people feel like they know me when I'm done. That's kind of, you know, yeah. I, I like that approach I just because that makes you stand out a little bit to me anyway. That it makes you connect, I think, on a on a different level. But yeah. I would I would be fine with Seinfeld's approach and career. I'd be fine. Oh, with yeah, that. Dude, I watched I actually watched Seinfeld <laughs> from the back of the room there. He was doing a gig at uh, at the local club here. It's called Flappers Comedy Club. Great club. And uh, that's my local haunt. But Seinfeld was in one night. We get great comedians in there. We had Kevin Hart one night. And if you're a comedian, you get to watch from the back, you know. So I was watching Seinfeld. And I thought, you know, oh, this is Seinfeld. I'm not, like, here, look, gifted man. But I thought, oh, that's not going to be my thing. But I saw him live, dude. I didn't see him in a big room. I saw him in a 200-seater, not on TV. And that's the key. He is un. Stoppable. Mm. Kevin Hart, the same small room, low ceiling. Those big, those big stadium gigs that they're doing for TV. I don't. Obviously, amazing. But like, if you want to, if you want the visceral experience of stand-up comedy, it's got to be a low ceiling with two hundred seats or fit or less. You know, like stadiums. It's it's good showbiz, but and it's good to show what you're capable of and how big an audience you have, and it's got other really good ROIs, but in mm-hmm. terms of the art form itself, dude, small room, low ceiling, dark, few drinks. You know? Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, we had about uh, 10 minutes left, so I want to start to transition a little bit into um, your, your rough set journey, of course. But uh, real quick, we talk about this uh, all the time. What is the importance of being nice? Uh, it, you know, we, we do this, we talk outside of clubs all the time about just being nice to people. What is your philosophy on that? Yeah, I, well, here, I, I, do you mind if I substitute nice for genuine? Because nice, sure. ha, nice is starting to get a darker turn because nice has a manipulative tone. Uh, but I think genuine and, uh, uh, you know, put it this way, dude. Most of the time I meet people, one of the first things I say is, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, maybe I need to improve this, but I let them in on one of my vulnerabilities. And uh, people think that that's because I'm a mess, but I'm actually, I think I might be, I might be doing it so that they feel more at ease. And uh, I think the world is very stressful. I think under, people are under a, ma- a massive amount of pressure. 
And I think that it's literally like that for everybody. And so if you can just be a breath of fresh air in somebody's life and they feel they can be themselves around you, mm -hmm. I mean, forget being nice, forget being genuine. It's just like, it's again, it's that connection that people remember people they connect with. And so one of the quickest ways to connect with people is to bring them value. And you're doing it not because you're trying to get anything from them. You're doing it because you're on the same path, trying to achieve the same things. It's like one of the one of the things I say to people now because I, I think as you get older people start thinking you know stuff I don't know anything but I can only say what I have experienced is that uh, people who have seen my vulnerabilities uh, and I have seen theirs and people who have, and I have seen over periods of time them improve in the comedy world and they've seen me improve. And they see, they look left and they go, whoa, Frank's still in the game. I remember there's only four mm. people that I started out with still in the game. Oh, and, and he was pleasant to me when I saw him last. Well, guess what? I have a TV show coming up and we need an Irish guy. I'm going to call Frank. Why? Well, he gave me a ride to a comedy club five years ago. Okay. It's like, it's like night, being genuine and being kind to people. The ROI, to put it in business terms, because that's how uh, young people speak now, is or, like they're all business people now. They're all doing trades on the internet. Dude. I don't know what's going on. Between Bitcoin and E-Trade, all these people are, 16-year-olds are minted, dude. <laughs> anyway, so they're all loaded. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I, think, I think what you're really doing is just sowing good energy for the future. It's, it's basic karma. It's basically what our parents taught us. It's... Be good to people and people will be good to you. It's it's in the Ten Commandments if you're religion, if you're religious. I mean it's everywhere. It's right. To not be genuine or nice, well, you're stepping on your own success. Why would you do that? And also it's just a really good habit to get into. Well, how can I bring any situation I walk into value? And how when I make a mistake do I apologize in a way that they know it's genuine? Uh, and that, you know. Uh, how, how, that you're interested in, like improving their lives, like because there is there is a sect of people who think, like, like put it this way, man. If you grow up in a neighborhood where where being kind is seen as a weakness, which is very very common in tough neighborhoods, being kind or smiling is seen as a weakness. Well, then it's going to take a long way for you to segue out and realize that being kind and bringing value to people and smiling. Uh, will actually get you all your hopes and dreams and that there's a whole like there's a whole billion people out there who are winning and in that energy now I, I came from a bit of a cynical background I'm Irish so I'm naturally stoic I'm, I'm ex-military so I had a massive guard up about my emotions mm -hmm. and then when I, I went to this acting school for a few years it's like eight hours a day you're working all night to try and get your stuff into your head to memorize you put it on its feet you know, for two years, dude, heavy, heavy, Stella Adler, Academy of Active, full bore. And the whole time that you're under so much pressure, and I remember thinking, I remember thinking if I can just bring these people value now, because they were, a lot of the kids there had way more money, they're paying, I, I got in on a, I got lucky, I, they gave me a scholarship, thank God. But a lot of the kids there had money and connections, generational connections to show this. So I thought, well, look, I'm a little bit older. I have a little more life experience. What I can do is, is be the older, genuinely the older, genuine brother who kind of like will tell them the truth about life and where they're going wrong 
and not steer them wrong as opposed to like tell them they're great all the time because they're daddy's kid, you know? So, right. so that, dude, tomorrow, today I got a call from a, a gentleman I met while in acting school and I'm flying up to Washington to do a small part in a Bruce Willis movie like this weekend. That's seven, four years ago, uh, I made that connection. Uh, I haven't been in that man's presence, save for one other film that he invited me on in the exact same circumstances, except, <laughs> except for them. So that will tell you. And I think all I did with that guy was I was a nice person when I met him and he came and saw one of the plays and I was able to do what I was saying I was able to do. So I hope that's not too long-winded an answer, but I, I genuinely think bringing value to people, like it's just like, if you're, if you're, if you're, it's like public service. You go in, you get a Coke off somebody at the local corner store. If they're nice to you, you walk out of there going, you know, thank you. Thank you. Just life is hard. Thank you for not going there. F mm. you. Like you're just like, okay. So just bringing positive energy to people, it literally leaves them in a state when they leave you that they give that energy to other people and you kind of get them addicted to the source too. You give them a little freebie, you know what I mean? You get them, give, mm -hmm. them, that nice, <laughs> give them that nice energy so they call you later. <laughs> no. That's nice though. It's, it's, I think it's so valuable. Um, well, it's basic, basic human decency and there's an yeah. absence, there's a, there's a there's an absence or a, there's a deficit of it nowadays because people are a little more self-obsessed with on the social media. So if you can just connect and genuinely think about how somebody, you're under pressure, but most likely everybody around you is suffering and it's only half an inch below the surface. So if you can figure out how to help a person, I mean, there's so few people helping people at this moment that uh, it's, it's, it's pretty much the most basic human thing that you can do and it seems to work. So... I don't put a lot of thought into it. My parents kind of bet it into me. So, well, it's uh, they never beat me, by the way. But they well, no. <laughs> well, it's one of the reasons I, I love you as a, a person and a friend. Uh, so we're talking with Francis Cronin, FrancisCronin.com. Uh, follow him on social media at Blowpunk. So this is one of the coolest things I think uh, I've ever heard of someone doing. One of the primary reasons I wanted to have you on here. Uh, we talk about charity and uh, impacting people's lives. And you uh, did something a little crazy. You walked from uh, San Francisco yeah. to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, no hotels, no nothing, no cars, no. You walked it on foot for over 500 miles. No uh, sense. Yeah. No sense of. of of anything. Yeah, of anything, really. But uh, you, you basically camped out. You were basically homeless for this uh, trek, and you were doing it for uh, to raise awareness and funds for the homeless health care Los Angeles. Please, 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 please tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got started into it and what it's about. Cool. Uh, all cards on the table. I like walking. I like adventure. I like making video content. And I like helping people like I think everybody does, but it's kind of a weird thing. We're not allowed to say like, if, if you were trying to join the ambulance service and they go, why do you want to join the ambulance service? And they go, uh, uh, it's like, you're afraid to say it's because I like helping people. <laughs> I want right. to see people survive and be happy. Like, so, so I'm trying to push past that cynicism that I, you know, and that this emotional toughness that I had to cultivate as a result of, you know, life in general or being in the military. And, uh, 
you know, I'm trying to just be more genuine. Like, I like helping people. Like, I like seeing someone smile. Today, uh, it doesn't matter because that's, that's bragging. But basically, some of my local uh, people outside, they needed some pots and pans. They've set up a nice little camp. They're ex-military. You think I'm not going to want to help them? So we got some pots and pans. You know, like, this stuff just seems so normal where I'm from. Uh, but apparently, uh, people are, uh, you know, you see, you, you see, this is how crazy the world has got. You see viral videos of teenagers doing basic things like helping their neighborhood neighbor with their shopping it's like mm -hmm. don't we this is this this is so rare it's viral what so basically dude i uh, i like adventure i was in the army i know how to navigate i make content uh i was looking to get out of hollywood it was christmas i hadn't got enough money to go back to ireland so I thought, right, Hollywood kind of goes on holidays from, well, about November, but they pretend it's December. But they go on holidays, everyone kind of leaves the city. There's not a lot of work going around in general in showbiz. So I thought, I'll get out of this. I'll use it as an opportunity to go on a walk, which I've always wanted to do. And so I uh, was doing a comedy show, again, at Flappers Comedy Club. And the sound engineer had worked with HHCLA, Homeless Healthcare Los Angeles. And I was talking on stage trying to get people to pay attention. Oh, nice. HHCLA.org. Yeah. And you can make contributions there. They know exactly what to do with your money. They use every cent in the best way. I haven't got a clue how to do the money thing. I just send them all the money. And they... Anyway, so uh, I plan to walk from San Francisco to LA in two weeks. I trained really, really hard. I've been doing cross-country running since I was a teen. I had competed uh, at a local and a national level in cross-country running as a team. Uh, then they, I represented Dublin, my home city, in Liverpool. So that'll give you an idea. From the age of 10 to 16, I'm running a lot. So in this body, there's a lot of mileage and muscle memory for that. Then I joined the army after school. That's basically, hey, go up the top of that hill, don't ask any questions, be fit at all times. So that was like, you know, crazy training, navigation, all that stuff. So by the time I'm in Hollywood, I know more about that and I feel more attached to that than I do stand-up comedy. So I think I'll, I'll why not do everything that I, I think that I want to do and that I think I could be really good at. So I want to do stand-up comedy and I love getting out and adventuring and taking a chance. So I go rough set. I'm going to sleep rough because that's the hook that will get people to donate to Homeless Healthcare Los Angeles. You've got to have a hook if you're going to get press. Otherwise, you're just another guy going for a throw. So I said, I'll sleep out, I'll sleep in doorways, under trucks, no tent, and never will I sleep indoors. And I thought, two weeks, I can handle it. It took six weeks, I nearly lost an eye. I think I was tracked by a mountain lion, and the cops stopped me many, many times. And uh, yeah, I would say I nearly died from hypothermia more than once. So I also met God, which was amazing. <laughs> uh, one of my, when I was losing my mind, uh, I hadn't seen anybody in about... 24 to 48 hours. I'm crossing over the mountains just north of San Luis Obispo. I'm very worried about uh, some tracks I saw beside the railroad track. I put it on Instagram. It looks like it could be a mountain lion or a coyote. Uh, I put it out online. People aren't sure. So I'm walking through the night alone and I'm getting into this rhythm. I'm stepping on step after step after step after, you know, just going 10 miles in and completely w operating in my subconscious mind. I've got a metal stick in case that a metal thing that I found at the side of the railroad track, just in case uh, this mountain line appears. And in that weird state of no people, monotony, 
isolation, no distractions, no screens, no neurosis, just Frank Cronin in nature walking. After a long period of time, I had this weird epiphany that I can only describe as, oh, that's a spiritual part of my brain that I have never tapped into, that I have now opened up and it's worrying. Mm. And so I don't know exactly what that is, but I have a theory that everybody has a piece of their brain that is dedicated towards uh, attributing attention to a higher power or something spiritual. And it needs to be silent, quiet, and uh, you need to be alone to get in contact with it. And I think that maybe that's what a lot of people used to do in the old days when they sent their kids out to have, you know, uh, a run-in with a mushroom and some celestial experience. <laughs> I, I think... I think that I basically had a, I, I, uh, I don't want to be too crazy. Like, I'm not sure what it was, but it was definitely an experience. It was a knowing, an understanding of your position as a tiny little insignificant piece in a vastly powerful universe and that it was all done, that it's all ridiculous. That everything mm. you believe to be structure and what society is, is all neurosis built over thousands of years and it's, you know, the rules by which we live are basically, you know, many of them are arbitrary rules designed to send power towards people who generationally have had power. It's, it's not really like, you know, and so uh, a new sense of self, I was imbued with a new sense of self, a new understanding of maybe the sanctity of life because I was scared for my life. And uh, yeah, I don't really know how to verbalize it, but I, I, a lot of people talk about experience as an awakening or a spiritual awakening all i can say is dude it felt like i was on, on drugs and uh, and that god was talking to me and i was alone so wow and i wasn't on drugs so we'll see uh, maybe, maybe i'm a lunatic that's the other way of going you know mm. well <laughs> you are a lunatic and that's okay we love you for that so, i like, I like uh, it dude everyone I, I feel sorry for people who aren't crazy but so we're, we're going to keep our eye out for Rust uh, set documentary, uh, which hopefully will be coming out soon. Um, uh, but if you want to keep up to date with that, follow Frank uh, Francis Cronin, uh, comedian and actor, FrancisCronin.com. You can follow him on Instagram, uh, Twitter, all social media, at GlowPunk. Uh, two minutes left. Can you just tell us really quickly about um, HHCLA, what they do? Uh, people want to follow them. They can follow them on Instagram at HHCLA, on Twitter at the HHCLA, and on uh, Facebook at Homeless Healthcare Los Angeles. Please just uh, tell us quickly. Great. So there's a huge group of people down in the middle of uh, LA. It's a place called Skid Row. It's so well known. Uh, it's kind of globally known as a place where people are having a tough time. Uh, there's an organization down there called Homeless Healthcare Los Angeles. They've been there for a long time. The head is Mark Casanova. He's got a great team. They shower, they have facilities down there where thousands of people daily have showers. And from that shower, they are, let's just, let, realistically, they get a new sense or a new chance at a new day on this planet. They can go clean to an interview. They can uh, go into the place there and if anyone's struggling or wants to see anybody about their struggles, whether it's addiction or psychological, there are people there that can set them on the right course. It's a drop-in clinic if people, uh, they meet people exactly where they are. So if people are addicted, there's an endless supply of clean uh, materials uh, for people to use their drugs as safely as they can. 
And uh, in general, the HHCLA take care of a huge portion of LA's homeless. And with 70,000 people plus in LA, and I imagine going to grow rapidly over the next two, three years as the depression hits, these people will be doing God's work. <laughs> if indeed it was God, they'll be doing his work. So they're an invaluable source of uh, help to people who are really struggling and they don't waste a cent. Excellent. Well, Francis, thank you so much, man, for, for coming on. Uh, love talking with you. We could talk forever. I think I asked you two questions instead of, you know, the normal amount that we always do. Love chatting with you and uh, appreciate you coming on. Again, everyone check out FrancisCronin.com, uh, Glowpunk on all your social media. And thank you for watching and thank you for listening. And again, thank you so much, Francis, for coming on. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Dude, you're the best and you're one of the funniest I know. If anyone can catch this man, Catch him now while the ticket price is low. Goodbye. <laughs>